Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Far Fetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. Have you ever had a job where they sat you down after your first six months to give you a six-month performance review? I think we've all gone through that experience. Well, I'm about to do that today because I've hit, I've hit the six-month mark with Far Fetched. And I think it's time for me to sit down with my director of human resources to review my progress and um, see if I should continue to employ myself in this capacity. Now, this whole thing started when my wife bought me a podcast microphone for a Christmas present last December. And that came on top of me dealing with uh, cancer treatment and our move from Wisconsin to Georgia. And in the course of that move, I packed and unpacked everything in my office for the first time in about 15 years. And I was kind of blown away by how many of my speculative writing projects I kept copies of, electronic and hard copies. Most especially, I was amazed at how many stories I had pitched to the various forms of Star Trek Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager. I was amazed at how many stories I had pitched to the producers of those shows without making sales before I started making sales. And even in between when I was, when I was making sales to Star Trek, I, I kept pitching a lot of loser stories. But I have them all. That's the point. And when I discovered all this, and when I was sitting in front of my podcasting microphone for the first time, I thought, hmm... Maybe it would be fun to just read a lot of those unsold pitches, unsold Star Trek pitches. People might enjoy that. A lot of Trekkies might enjoy that. A lot of scriptwriters might enjoy that uh, and find some value in it. So I just sort of put it out there on Twitter, and I got a great response. I, it probably wasn't a huge response at the time, but it seemed big enough to me. I, I got some positive comments from people saying that they would love to hear me tell those Star Trek pitches, to sort of repitch those stories to my podcast audience. So that's how we got here. Then, of course, once I made that decision, the concept kind of grew and grew because I started thinking, well, just giving those pitches, it lacks context. It might be more interesting if I told the backstory, if I told the the genesis of these projects and these storylines, and really just just turned the podcast into a story about my my life and my development and my progress and sometimes my failures as a writer. So that's where we got to where we are. And you may have noticed that six months into six months into this podcast, I still have not read a single one of those Star Trek pitches. Now I did in the two of the earlier episodes of Farfetched, I did do dramatic readings of Between Two Darknesses, which is the script I wrote for The Next Generation that got my foot in the door. And I talked a little bit about how that whole process worked in those earlier episodes of Farfetched. But yeah, as far as as far as doing dramatic readings of the pitches, I haven't gotten there yet. And to be honest, I'm, I, I'm not sure when I'll get there because I still have more stories to tell that I think are are, are relevant to what I'm trying to do here with the podcast. So I hope you'll bear with me. I think I'm, uh, I'm going to give myself a passing grade for my six-month evaluation. Maybe not an A+, but I think definitely a B. 
uh, and I can I can run with the B. I can work with that. Now, I have to tell you about this interesting day I had last week. In one day, I had one, two, three, four really interesting possible job opportunities come my way. When you're a writer, it's rare enough to get to get one, to get four, and to have them all come on the same day is kind of interesting. So, uh, I I was in I was in a real weird vibe last week, I guess. So here's what happened. First of all, uh, I had gone out uh, to for drinks to meet uh, a producer at iHeartMedia, which produces some scripted podcasts, and it was just kind of a meet and greet meeting. Ended up being a lot of fun. I really liked I really liked Ben, the guy from iHeartMedia. We had a great conversation. I didn't pitch anything, but we talked in general about about how I would pitch something. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. In fact, I'm going to be talking with uh, one of the folks from iHeart uh, later today. By the way, if you're into scripted podcasts, I I would recommend that you listen to Tomorrow's Monsters. Uh, it's a scripted podcast, uh, heavy science fiction. It's sort of a science fiction retelling of the Jekyll and Hyde story, and it's a lot of fun. It really opened my eyes to what is possible with scripted podcasts. So that was the first thing last last week on that special day. I had that interesting meeting with the gentleman from iHeartMedia. When I got home from that meeting, I found in my email inbox that a pitch of mine had actually gone through at another company that's producing scripted podcasts. So it'll be really interesting to see how and if that develops into anything. At the same time, I got word that uh, I had my book proposal, a book proposal that's somewhat Star Trek related, uh, had been sent out to its recipient. That's very exciting. But the most interesting thing of all, the number four on the list, but by far the most interesting, out of the blue, I got an email from a movie producer with whom I had worked about 15 years ago on a feature film project, hadn't gone through, he was emailing me to, to see if I was interested in reviving this project. That's a very interesting kind of message to get in your inbox, believe you me. So, ended up talking with this producer for about an hour on the phone. It was nice to reconnect with him and catch up on things after 15 years. Here's the story of what this producer was proposing. Back, in, back around the year 2000, which used to be the distant future, Back in the year 2000, uh, I wrote a British comedy about crop circles. When I say British comedy, I mean a comedy movie script that took place in England with British characters. And I will talk about that more in a future episode. But for now, I'll just say that writing that script was absolutely the most enjoyable writing experience I've ever had in my entire career. Because it was one of those situations where the script just flowed out of me. It wrote itself in my head, and all I had to do was sit down at the keyboard and tap it out, tap out what was already in my head, and boom, I had a script. And it's a script that has done really, really, really well for me over the years. And one of the funny things about it is a lot of people in Hollywood who've read the script have assumed that I was British, which is really funny. And I will never forget my agent at the time 
would call me up and say, Mark, it happened again. I was talking to a producer and he said, hey, who's this British writer you're representing now? And I say, what British writer? And they say, you know, the guy who wrote Doug and Dave, the crop circle script. And my agent would just laugh his head off and say, are you kidding? That guy's from Wisconsin. Give me a break. So it was always kind of fun to hear that my writing had fooled someone into thinking I was British. And on a couple occasions, I actually fooled a couple of British producers who thought that I was British. That was, that was fun. That was always fun. So, so for a short time, at any rate, in Hollywood, I had a little bit of a reputation as the, as the American guy who can write British. And so my agent and I went with that, and we ended up connecting with this producer who thought I was British British when he first read the script. And he contacted my agent and said, hey, uh, I, w- I think I want to work with uh, this guy, Mark O'Connell, your client. I have a story I've been developing for a British comedy, a comedy feature film script that takes place in England. And he said, I'm looking for a screenwriter to write the script from my story. And I think your client is the guy I want to work with. So this was fantastic. But there was a catch. So, as my agent explained to me, this producer had just finished a film where he had, quote, hired, unquote, a screenwriter to write a script from his story, but he hadn't paid the writer until the film was actually funded and produced, which is a very wrong way to do things. But my agent said, this is what the producer wants to do with this new story, his British story. He wants you to write the script with no payment until the film is actually made. And I am embarrassed to admit that I accepted the offer and I shouldn't have. I've always felt it was one of the worst career moves I've ever made. I've always been a little sore at my agent for encouraging me to accept the offer. But there it is. I accepted the offer, and and that was that. And then I spent the next, oh, two, maybe three years laboring over that script, doing rewrite after rewrite. At one point, we did have a British director very interested in the script, so I had to go back and make (laughs) do another rewrite with this British director's uh, notes. So, yeah, you get the picture. I put a ton of work into this script. The movie never got made. And I never got paid a cent. And I've always regretted it. Not for a couple of reasons. First of all, first of all, I'm a member of the Writers Guild, the Writers Union. That is absolutely forbidden in the Writers Guild rules. I totally broke the rules by agreeing to do this work for free. And the producer broke the rules also by offering me, <laughs> by offering me free employment. He should have known better. I should have known better. It was not smart all around. The second reason it was a dumb idea was because it was just a dumb idea. I just shouldn't have done it. I should have known that I, I should have known that this was not a real good situation for me to be getting into. Just because the process worked on this guy's last film, there was no guarantee that it would work with this new script. So yeah, some regrets there. Well, as you may have guessed already, this is the very same producer who emailed me last week whose email I found in my inbox after I got back from that fun meeting. So I spent about an hour on the phone with him last week. He thinks it's time to get this script back out on the market. With modifications, he thinks it needs to be rewritten to a certain degree. Some some aspects elevated, some aspects demoted. But, But he's got a plan. And he thinks the time is 
right because of, interestingly enough, Ted Lasso, the hit comedy on Apple TV, which I just started watching last week and I'm liking very, very much. It's a very sweet and charming show. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm flattered that this producer thinks that my script has any resemblance at all to Ted Lasso. <laughs> That's very flattering for a writer. But here's the thing. We spent an hour on the phone talking, and uh, he never once brought up how much he would pay me to do this new rewrite on this very old script. And I didn't say a word about it because <clears throat> I was basically waiting to see what he would say and do. And, and at the end of the conversation, he had said and done nothing about pay. And that's a pr problem because, you know, based on the last time I worked with this guy, um, that's just not a good bet. Even if, as much as I love this script that I wrote for him, as much fun as I had writing it, uh, I'm just not going to work for free anymore. I don't have to, and I shouldn't have to. So after getting off the phone with his producer, I immediately contacted my attorney and gave him the gave him the history that I just gave you and said, okay, you know, let's, let's work with this guy. I want to work with the producer. I absolutely don't want to just dismiss this out of hand, but also, like I say, I, I'm, I'm not going to work for free. It's just not going to work that way anymore. So that's where we're at right now. It'll be really interesting to see how this all pans out. My attorney is in touch with the producer and Hopefully, we will be able to come to terms in some way. The, the bottom line is, I wrote the script, and the script is my property. So there is that. I've got that in my back pocket, and so I'm not worried. I think we can come to a good, uh, a good agreement on this and hopefully move ahead with the script, because what the hell? If you've got an opportunity to get a project going, you're, you know, you don't say no. You try to figure out a way to make it work. I regret that I chose the wrong way to do it 15 years ago, but I'm really trying to do it the right way this time. Now, I mentioned the Writers Guild a few minutes ago. Speaking of the Writers Guild, one of the great things the Guild does is they offer, they offer webinars periodically on script techniques, uh, interviews with successful script writers, all sorts of fun things. I don't always sign up for all the webinars, but every once in a while I do because they sound, they sound like they might be interesting and, and, and worthwhile for me. Well, a couple days ago, after all of this stuff happened with the, all the opportunities that I just talked to you about, uh, a few days ago, the Writers Guild uh, did a, a webinar on the 10 things that you don't want to hear as a writer. And it was a, I, you know, it was a catchy title for the webinar, and I thought it would be fun to tune in. So here goes. So I'm taking this webinar about the top 10 frustrating things a scriptwriter might hear from someone who has just read their script. Of course, there were just a couple of points that he made that really resonated with me. Like, oh, yeah, I could stand to do better at this. Or, oh, yeah, that's something that's been an issue with me that I should really try to work on. There's always something like that in a list. And a couple of things that jumped out at me were um, one, of the, one of the things that the presenter talked about was read other people's scripts. I'm not always the greatest at this. But I did try to change that recently, though. I just bought a book a couple of weeks ago called From the Inner Mind to the Outer Limits, Scripts of Joseph Stefano. 
Now, if you've listened to the early episodes of this podcast, you'll know that the original Outer Limits that was on TV from 1963 to 1965 was is one of my all-time favorite, if not if not my all-time favorite TV show. I love it. It's fantastic science fiction. It really opened my eyes to uh, uh, storytelling. And when I found out that the mastermind behind this show, Joseph Stefano, that his uh, family was publishing a collection of his original scripts from The Outer Limits, I was just super, super excited. And of course, I had to get a copy of this book. And reading the scripts was wonderful. This guy could write. But here's the interesting thing. So another one of the things that um, this uh, presenter talked about at the the, uh, webinar was... Don't overwrite your scene descriptions. Scene descriptions should be kept to an absolute minimum. At the most, three, maybe four lines of scene description. And if you go beyond that, then you're writing too much. Not only are you trying to tell the director what to do, but you're just, you're just over-explaining things when in reality you could describe them and move on in much less time and taking up much less page space. So I'm thinking about that, and I'm looking through this book of scripts by Joseph Stefano, and I guess Stefano is the exception to the rule, because holy crap, does this guy write some long scene descriptions. Let me give you an example. So here we go from page 15 from a script for an episode called Don't Open Till Doomsday. Interior upstairs parlor of Cry Mansion, night. Sequence begins with camera angled extremely close on a telephone, circa 1929. The wrinkled, skinny hand of a woman is still on the receiver, which hangs in its cradle. Then the hand lets go. Camera pans with hand, remaining close, as hand moves across table to an old-fashioned Victrola. A record is spinning on the turntable. The hand picks up the big chrome playing arm, drops it indiscriminately on the record. We hear a tinny, scratched version of the song we heard drifting through the ballroom windows at the beginning of the play. Camera pulls back suddenly as we see the owner of the hand. She is Mrs. Mary Cry. She sits propped up on a big old bed. She is past 60. Her aged, wrinkled face is grotesquely painted with cosmetics. Her eyebrows are highly arched, pencil thin. Her lips are painted in a bee sting pattern. Her hair is worn in a boyish bob, is fringed with dyed black spit curls and she is dressed in the clothes and style of the Jazz Age 20s. Her throat is hung with many strands of beads. Her hands are heavy with large stone rings. Her stockings are garter-rolled to below the knee. Her shoes have spiked heels and buttoned straps. When she speaks, it is in the bright, shrill voice of a flapper. When she walks, she seems eternally on the verge of breaking into a Charleston. She is at once ludicrous and ridiculous and appalling. She is not ever funny or laughable. She is chilling. And would you believe that's only half of the scene description? This goes on for like a page and a quarter. So uh, Joseph Stefano absolutely does not follow the rule of keeping scene descriptions down to three or four lines. If he were writing this script today, he probably could have gotten by simply saying this sentence she is dressed in the clothes and style of the Jazz Age 20s. He could have gotten away with just that. But no, he had to go on and on and on in minute detail. Not that I'm knocking it. Like I said, this guy's a great writer. And the episode, Don't Open Till Doomsday, is incredibly entertaining and weird. 
but I just think it's funny to point out how things change over time. Back then, Joseph, St Joseph Stefano was able to get away with a scene description that went for one and a quarter page. That is crazy. Another difference, this I thought really interesting from this webinar. When I first started writing my movie scripts, conventional wisdom was that you have about 10 pages. You have the first 10 pages of your script to really grab the reader's attention. And if you don't grab their attention in the first 10 pages, your script is going to end up in the trash can. Because guess why? Whoever's reading your script, whether it's a producer or a director or a development director or just a, a lowly script writing reader, um, they have a whole stack of scripts to read. It's not just your script. So it's not worth their while to keep reading a script beyond 10 pages. If they know that it's not working for them, they're, they're just going to cut their losses. They're going to stop at page 10 and, like I said, throw the script away and then start reading the next one and hope that the next one catches them within the first 10 pages. Okay, so that's how I functioned for a very, very long time. First 10 pages, grab them, grab them right away in the first 10 pages. Well, this, this presenter at the webinar was stressing that you only have one page. <laughs> I was just shocked. Like, wait a minute. So we go from 10 pages to one page? I have to grab the reader's attention in one flipping page. That means I have to establish a character, establish a setting, establish a situation, establish a problem for the character, and many more things in just one page. That's very, very hard to do. But you can see where keeping your scene descriptions to three or four lines and no longer suddenly becomes of paramount importance. You do not have room on your pages for any more scene description than that because you have to just get at it right away. You have to dive into your story. You need to establish your characters. You need to make the reader want to learn more about your characters and their problems. And you've got to do that within the first 60 seconds of the movie. That's kind of, it's, <laughs> it's kind of intimidating to say the least. But I was really glad I took the seminar because I think that, like I said, the guy made a lot of sense and a lot of, his, a lot of the things he pointed out were very, very worthwhile. Now, when the presenter was talking about reading other people's scripts, I, I assume he was meaning to read scripts uh, of read scripts for movies and TV shows that you haven't read, that you haven't watched yet, so, so that you get a whole new experience from reading it. But I think there's also something to be said for reading scripts of movies and shows that you're already very well versed in, like this collection of scripts that I just mentioned from The Outer Limits. One of the really fun things about reading these scripts was I, I would every now and then come across a detail that the writer Joseph Stefano had inserted into a scene description or a line of dialogue that when I watched the episode, and trust me, I've seen every one of these episodes like a hundred times. I know them inside and out. And yet still reading the script, there'd be these tiny little details or suggestions that I never picked up on watching the show. And for me, it's just very, very fascinating to come across these. These are like prehistoric Easter eggs. These are things that I never knew were in the show or were intended to be in the show, but that sort of got downplayed in the final edit or I was just, my attention was elsewhere in the scene and I missed this little detail going by. 
For instance, one of the scripts in this collection is for a fantastic episode of The Outer Limits called The Xanti Misfits. And The Xanti Misfits is about an alien race that asks the humans of planet Earth to provide a prison for their incorrigible criminal class. Uh, and you can see right off the bat how badly an arrangement like that might go, and in fact it does. But there is a really cool detail in this script that I, I, I just, I never would have picked up on, and now that I know about it, it's still just blowing my mind. So the Xantes are insects. They are about a foot long, they look like ants, but they have really hideous human faces. They are among the scariest uh, TV and movie monsters I've ever encountered. And there are a couple of them that come, come from episodes of The Outer Limits. So you got these aliens that are gigantic ants with human faces. Their spaceship comes to Earth filled with prisoners, and they're going to start a penal colony on the planet Earth. And one of the things that Joseph Stefano mentions in his scene description that I never picked up on is that the spaceship that the Xanti misfits have arrived in looks like an anthill. It looks like an anthill. Of course, and now, of course, I think of that episode. And I think, well, of course, duh, of course it looks like an anthill. How did I miss that? What a cool little detail. What a cool little glimpse into the writer's mind. So that is just one more strong, strong argument for reading other scripts, but don't just read scripts for things that you haven't seen before. Read scripts for shows and movies that you're already really well-versed in, because you might find some surprises. You might learn a little bit more about why your favorite scene is your favorite scene, because of some little trick or, or, little, or little strategy that the writer used in that scene or in that, in that, um, in that moment of the script. It's really fun. I can't say enough about it. So thank you, Writers Guild, for sponsoring this webinar. Thank you to the presenter. The presenter, by the way, was a fellow writer named Timothy Cooper. And you can find out more about Timothy and the services he offers to screenwriters at blueprintscreenwritinggroup.com. That's all one word, no spaces, blueprintscreenwritinggroup.com. Check it out. And thus ends another episode of Farfetched. As usual, I didn't talk about all the things I wanted to talk about. I have a celebrity meeting story coming up that I guess will get shoved to the next episode that I think is kind of a fun story. But I try to keep these podcasts within about a half an hour's uh, length, so that means I gotta cut it off right about here. Thanks for listening, and I hope you come back again for the next episode of Farfetched in two weeks. Farfetched.